Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And this is Dr. Bruce Kiesling in the studios of News Radio 650 Week Exactly one week pre- prior to when you're listening to this and a pre-record. I am indulging myself in my yearly solstice activity. And it is a highly motivating activity for my workouts. As I've shared with you on the program, I'll be starting my 70th year here in just a few months. And I have a workout. I work out uh, between two and two and a half hours every day. I start my day about four o'clock in the morning. Now, I do that because it's the only way that I can uh, get myself ready in an adequate way for this trip that I take in the solstice, which is to ski with Tommy Moe and some of his buddies across the inlet on some very steep terrain and narrow couloirs on wonderful corn snow and, you know, delude myself that I still know how to ski, trying to keep upright. So if I make it back the following week, you can call in with questions about that, not that you would have any questions, but the point about that particular trip is that 20 years ago I was told that I had to give it up. I had to give up skiing altogether. I had to give up uh, sheep hunting. I was supposed to give up all kinds of things. And this was uh, because I went to an orthopod for consultation. And he was going to, you know, he said, you know, you're just getting old. Now, this I'm 50 at the time I go in. You're just getting old. And you need to give this stuff up, and you're going to look, be looking at a knee replacement. Well, I, I, I really resented that because I didn't think it was true. And as a result of that, I did my due diligence and, and in fact, that orthopedic doc never got a referral from me again <laughs> because I thought it was just uh, irresponsible. I really wanted some reinforcement of what I thought I needed to do, but I went back and and got well advised and with six exercises to strengthen the supporting structures of my knee. I lost 15 pounds, which is the equivalent of dropping 60 pounds biomechanically on the knee. Those six exercises... Uh, and then a, 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 a what helped strengthen the supporting structures of the knee. So the knee is a very commonly affected joint in osteoarthritis, wear and tear. The knee is a great hinge, but we use it for too much rotation. And then we have structures there that can tear, like I tore a, a meniscus, and that had to be trimmed. And then just the wear and tear on the cartilage. So by as a result of doing all that, I've been able to continue to to do this ski trip, to uh, continue to ski generally, to do the hunting that I like to do. And I will always come back, and I'll come back uh, in two weeks, when, uh, and my knee will be swollen up, and it'll be barking at me, and I will be doing all the things that I knew I shouldn't do. And I'll wonder if now have I crossed the the Rubicon, and, and have I gotten to a point where it's not going to get back to uh, where it doesn't bother me much at all, and or is it now at a point where I'm going to have to think about an artificial knee? Now, obviously, uh, the, the logical thing is, well, why do you do something that you know is going to hurt it? Well, you know, 
it's because I really, really enjoy this activity, and it's a highly motivating uh, for my fitness. I think fitness, you know, fitness is important, but I don't blow sunshine up anybody's sleep. Then when I'm working out hard in the morning, then I'm totally satisfied with the distraction on the History Channel um, or whatever I'm watching to distract me during my workout. I know I feel great when it's over. I know my nurse appreciates it because if I skip my workout, she says, you skipped your workout, didn't you? You're a particularly um, curmudgeon today as opposed to your usual curmudgeon uh, because she knows that by the workout actually, of course, as you know on this program I've told you, it stimulates uh, a, a true chemical that works to mellow you out, uh, and indeed it does. But I do it for a lot of reasons, and uh, and the reasons that I encourage the patients, cardiovascular reasons, in this case, specific exercises included, for the weak links. We all have weak links, and uh, oftentimes it's the knees, oftentimes it's the back, uh, because the back uh, has some you know very unique uh, rotational stressors on it. While I'm talking about the back, let me tell you that I have a real problem with some of the orthopedic docs in town who work on the back. I have a problem with all of the fusions that are done. There's a very good article written in the New England Journal uh, recently about fusions. What are fusions? Well, a person has a bad back. what What is the badness? What's going on with the back? Well, it's an impingement of the disc sometimes on the nerve, and the disc gets removed sometimes. And Sometimes, though, just the fragment gets removed, only the part that's offending the nerve, not the whole disc. Well, it makes sense to only do that. It's called a microdiscectomy, isn't it? Not a whole disc. And then why would you want to fuse above and below that level? Well, you know, it's a good question. Well, the ostensible reason is that it holds that area where you've removed the disc still so it doesn't rub and it doesn't, um, you know, build up calcium and, and pinch on the nerve some more. The problem is that when you fuse, you then uh, decrease mobility in that back and you put increased stress now on the space and the nerve outlet above and below wherever you fused. So actually fusions are done probably at least 50% too often. They should only be done when there is absolutely proven instability of the low back. But there are some orthopedic surgeons in town that are kind of called doctor fusions because... That's what they do on everybody, and that's unfortunate because the person will do well for a couple of years or so following the surgery, and then they won't do so well at all. So I'm going to give you the names. One of the things about going to a clinic and one of the strengths of a primary care clinic that has a lot of experience in the community They know who the A-team is. And I haven't named a lot of names over the years. I've given a few names of folks that I have high regard for. And I'd rather talk about people I have high regard for because I don't want to get, um, you know, sideways of the folks that I, I don't have such high regard for. But when we refer patients out, we make sure that they get to the A-team. And I'm going to talk about the importance of this This is so very important that you get to the right person when you need to get to a specialist. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the name of the doctors who the doctors go to for their back surgery. They're Dr. Davis Peterson and Dr. Spencer. Dr. Davis Peterson and Dr. Spencer. They are excellent back surgeons. They only do what's necessary 
We get great results for our patients, and now I'll probably never be able to get people in to see them again because you know who the A-team is. Um, are there other people out there that, that uh, meet the, the, that same uh, criteria? Well, I'm just going to tell you that Dr. Peterson is who I would go to if I needed back surgery. And Dr. Spencer I would be very comfortable with as well. End of that discussion. But I saw another patient. I saw a patient who, uh, you know, husband called, called me up. And this is a while back, you know. Called up Michelle. Michelle, I got to talk to Bruce. I got to get my wife in. She's just beside herself. She went to see the uh, the this orthopedic group, and she was told that she needed a new knee on the right side, and that as soon as that was done, she was going to need a knee on the left side, and then she was going to need a hip replacement on the left side, and she is just beside herself. So Michelle, of course, talked to me, and I said, well, make sure that she brings in, you know, the studies and the reports, and I'll sit down and talk with her. So I did, and what I did for two hours is what was not done even for two minutes in all of the multi-thousand dollars worth of workup she had at this group. But the problem, one of the big problems is, now, I want you to know that I was the very first private physician in Anchorage to employ a mid-level. I hired a PA that hadn't been done. This was back in the 90s, and I was reluctant about this whole notion of the physician extender. And he came and he joined us, and he would admit he couldn't find his butt with both hands. He was totally unencumbered by knowledge or experience, but he'd had some experience in Kaiser doing physicals, and he was a quick study, and he was eager to learn. So he became, you know, we, Dr. Stan Smith and I, we, we mentored him, and we, we really helped him with the learning process. He, and like I said, he was a quick study. He never overreached. And it was a, it was a good experience, he, and became a very good PA. The important thing about mid-levels is that they, especially nurse practitioners, have this thing about turf. They're more interested in their own independence rather than actually taking care of patients. They don't want to work with physicians, and yet um, you cannot deny the fact that the amount of training that goes into training a physician is extraordinarily greater than the clinical experience of either uh, a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner. But that doesn't mean that a nurse practitioner or a uh, physician assistant can't be an outstanding provider if they are working in collaboration with the physician, have immediate access to that physician, and not just a not just a phone consult, but really a close collaboration. And that's the way we do it at Primary Care Associates, close collaboration. Nobody overreaches. Well, unfortunately, uh, the business, the uh, the plan of, of, of the uh, some of the orthopedic groups here in town is a, a direct advertising saying, you know, you got any orthopedic problem, just come in and see us. Where are you going to see a PA? That's not a bad thing in and of itself. It is, though, when a PA, uh, when they finish their training, as I said, they are unencumbered by knowledge or experience, period. I speak from experience because I have I've, I've worked with PAs for a long time. That doesn't mean they have to stay that way, but it means that they have to get training. They have to get additional uh, oversight. Absolutely. One of the critical things is, is that they have a very limited general knowledge about general medicine. And if they go from their training immediately into a specialized clinic, 
let's say they graduate and they go into the orthopedic clinic, they forget their general training right away. So what happens is I see patients who have had, who have had carpal tunnel surgery done uh, when nobody checked on the fact that they had diabetes uh, or that they had thyroid disease, both of which can cause neurologic symptoms, which if you're not scrutinizing, if you don't you know, pay attention, you know, you can be confused with carpal tunnel. It shouldn't if you know what you're doing. And so they had unnecessary surgery. So the, the, the PA, if they're in a situation like an orthopedic, we, we, first of all, we know it's been absolutely shown that if an orthopedic group owns their own MRI, they own their own CT, they own all that, that the um, amount of studies of these very expensive imaging is significant statistically and sometimes stratospherically greater utilization of these studies than in any other circumstance. And that's, you know, that's great for a business plan and for a revenue stream. It's not necessarily in your best interest as a patient. So when I got the data for this lady back and I sat down with her and I said, well, okay, you, um, you, you were told you were going to need a hip eventually. Let's look at your uh, hip films and the like and tell me about your pain. Well, her pain was not characteristic at all of a degenerative hip joint. It was more of a more of a bursitis. And when I go went through her X-ray or MRI, I said, "Did did he talk to you about this? Did you get you get a copy of this and look at it?" And it says right on there, the joint space is well maintained. Well, if the joint space is well maintained. It means that the cartilage is there. It means that. You know, and when you don't have cartilage there, when it's bone on bone, that's the osteoarthritis, that's the degenerative process that leads to a hip replacement. But if you've got cartilage, that means you've got articular surfaces that are working, okay? So this hip joint does not need, it does not, I'll tell you what this lady needed, but it did not need her to be alarmed or pointed in the direction of surgery. Totally irresponsible. So I said, well, let's look at your, the report on your left knee. Left knee said, joint space well-maintained. Joint space well-maintained means that there's no osteoarthritis. So to say that she's going to head toward a, uh, a replacement there is, um, you know, irresponsible. Um, and that's being kind. So the right knee had been getting cortisone shots, several cortisone shots. I look at the report, and it says there that there's thinning of the articular cartilage, but it didn't say bone on bone. It didn't say that there was absent articular cartilage. Well, what happens when you shoot up a knee with cortisone uh, and a joint is that if somebody is bone on bone, you can buy some time decreasing the inflammation. You know they're going to head toward a, a, a joint replacement, but the cortisone can buy some time. But you don't stick uh, multiple cortisone shots in a joint that still has some articular cartilage because you're going to create problems and a more rapid erosion of that articular cartilage. So what do you do? Well, you look at the whole person. She's having problems with her left hip because her right knee is bothering her, throws off her body mechanics. Okay, and besides that, her right knee didn't have the problem so much with the cartilage. I mean, she has some wear and tear, granted, but she had a um, a bony prominence called an endochondroma that was irritating the backside of her kneecap and causing inflammation there. That's where the attention should be uh, directed. Now, the the problem, I mean, that there is, and the uh, the other thing is, of course. Uh, the, the crux issue with this lady is that she's going to do well with physical therapy, the proper physical therapy, 
Recognizing her left hip and her left knee are bothering her because her right knee is out of whack and throwing her whole body mechanics out of whack. And because she's not as uh, active and mobile, she is going to, you know, have trouble with her nutritional uh, goals and she and, and losing some weight. And she definitely needs to lose some weight. What did I just tell you just 10 minutes ago about my own knee? I dropped 15 pounds. I wasn't overweight. I took 60 pounds off my knee. This lady who needs to lose 20 pounds, she's going to take 80 pounds off her knee. I told her there's not a you know guarantee at all in medicine, but I would come as close to a guarantee as possible that if she learned the six exercises to strengthen her knee, if she learned some core uh, exercises um, in general uh, about her body habitus and her um, you know how she carries her frame and the like, if she you know loses that um, that twenty pounds, and that's not in a stratospheric amount of weight, but it's a significant amount of weight. You don't think it's a significant amount of weight? Put a twenty pound pack on first thing in the morning, wear it all day, and see uh, how you feel when you take it off at the end of the day. Light bulb's going to go off for you. Same is true for this lady. So, but the problem uh, too often is that. Uh, several problems. First of all, people want a fix, a quick fix. They're impatient. Do something mechanically. Do something surgically. Make me better. Instead of realizing that you get to a certain point because of some a certain amount of neglect or you hung yourself up, you know, rode yourself hard and hung yourself up wet and you're, you're paying the, the price for it, just like I have with my 17 orthopedic adventures. But I started the program off talking about how I work out and why I work out uh, for two and a half hours. Now, to be fair, how, what does the two and a half hours consist of? It consists of an hour walking my dogs, and so that's not really a workout. It's just getting out and enjoying the, the outdoors. It consists, though, an hour and a half of flexibility, stamina, strength, and balance exercises. Those are all important. So what I did was I kept myself. Somebody told me I was going to need a knee, and I needed to give up everything that I enjoyed. I said, B.S., and that's how I handle it. Uh, I, I, with the lady and my patients and the patients at Primary Care Associates, we look at the whole person. We look at the, what, and we go, we make sure they go to the A team. Now, what we do within these orthopedic groups in town, and unfortunately, I don't think it's good for medicine. When you have a consolidation, you, they create monopolies. We've got a monopoly with the Heart Institute. We've got a monopoly now uh, with, uh, except for f- five or six independent orthopedic docs, everybody's um, huddled around either OPA, uh, the Orthopedics Physicians Alaska, or AFOC, Anchorage Fracture and Orthopedic. Within that group, they have some outstanding, some outstanding orthopedic surgeons. Two that I named earlier, Dr. Davis Peterson and Dr. Um, Spencer, are at AFOC. Uh, for uh, knee care um, at OPA, uh, outstanding physicians are Dr. Eli Powell and Dr. Jeff Moore. Okay, I gave you some names, but you got to get to those people. And so if if a person, and too often what you have is a business plan trumping a patient care plan, and the PAs are very, uh, it is irregular about who has the clinical background to do the proper clinical exam in a general medical sense, see if there's other general medical issues that can mitigate this problem. You don't have to jump uh, to uh, the two and three and five thousand dollars worth of imaging right away. 
In fact, often not, you don't need it at all. And within these groups, uh, there are some people who do the multiple fusion, multiple level fusions. You're going to have a back surgery and somebody says we're going to fuse. You want to get a second opinion. You absolutely want to get a second opinion. Uh, trust me. Um, because, yeah, you'll do well in the first couple of years, maybe three years. But if you have a fusion, you don't need it. Um, it, it creates problems, real problems. Plus the rehab, plus the core strengthening, plus the uh, how uh, you know getting to ideal weight. I know that that isn't what you want to hear, and you don't want to think about the sweat equity uh, that goes into putting yourself in the best possible way to convalesce. But but folks, that's the way it is. You know, you you really need to take ownership uh, of this. My patients, and I tell them all the time, I have my patients are are, are successful people, whether in whatever field they're in. I mean, they can be a professional field. It can be uh, in in a trade. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. They're successful because, and and they're often, you know, family people are dedicated to their families, maybe their church and all that. They are successful because what they put on the front burner is what gets their attention. So my goal as a physician for 43 years is to talk to them about putting their health and the sweat equity behind it on the front burner. We all work in what it doesn't make any difference what field we work in. There's a certain amount of tedium to every job. You get good at it because it's repetitive. You make it interesting because you you know you're trying to improve it, but still it's repetitive. And some of it is, you know, not all that imaginatively repetitive, but it's still repetitive and you keep your mind at it and your focus on it. It's no different about your health, folks. You keep your mind on it and you stick with it, whether it's getting to ideal weight or getting the ideal uh, fitness program with, uh, you know, judiciously advanced uh, aerobic exercise, strength training, flexibility, balance training. But, you know, I, I just have to make it really, really clear that you need to uh, align with a primary care doc who knows the community. There is no substitute for knowing who the A-team is. I tell my patients, you know, you know, please God know you, have, you don't have an accident. But if you go to the emergency room and you're in an accident or you have a medical problem and the emergency room says, okay, you, you don't have to be ad, uh, admitted. They've done their triage and you're not going to die. You need to go to X, Y, and Z. Well, last week the gentleman said, you know, uh, talking about his dizziness, and the uh, emergency room doc, because he was a veteran, he's going to go to the veteran, um, you know, and get some get his care there. That's fine. But if he were, if somebody said, "Okay, I want you to go to Doctor So and So for this and get this worked up," you know, that's where having a relationship with a doc and with a clinic that knows who the A team consists of uh, will. You would call them. And in our case of our patients, they call us and say, hey, I was, this is what happened. We get the emergency room note. We look it over and say, well, this looks like such and such to me. Um, and uh, these are the people that I would trust. Now, it turns out at primary care associates that oftentimes uh, the need for the emergency room is obviated in the first place because we have clinics that are open in the evening. We have clinics that are open on the weekend. So the non-emergency urgent care can be handled at the urgent care center at Huffman or in Eagle River or downstairs on Lake Otis. But the, the, but the point is if you get a recommendation from the emergency room 
and it's not an emergency. If you have to be admitted because you've got diagnosed appendicitis and, you know, so whoever's on call is going to be the ones that's going to help you with that. But otherwise, uh, it's up to you to who you see. And the emergency room doc is not going to send you to the A-team. They have no necessarily, don't necessarily know who that is, who that consists of. And the other thing is they get pressured by docs in town. Hey, how come you're always referring to Dr. So-and-so? We want the referrals as well. And so they just roll through the, you know, for those of us who remember what a Rolodex is, the same kind of principle. Okay, uh, they saw we referred to Dr. A for this problem last time. We're going to refer now to Dr. B. Well, that's not necessarily what way you want it to be handled. And so when you have, this is, this is not going to last for much longer, a few more years, folks, where you have the, the, the quadruple A's is what we provide at Primary Care Associates. And I know I'm tooting our horn, but I'm telling you, I'm going to talk about Ben Gazzara here in just a second because I've identified with Ben Gazzara. And I'll explain in a second. The four A's, are the, which are the backbone of primary care associates, the over, uh, overarching tenet, all decisions are based, are passed through, all decisions are passed through the prism of best patient care. That's it, period. It's that simple. And then it's uh, based on the four A's, advocacy, availability, access, and A-team knowing who the A-team for consultants are. I know I've shamelessly name-dropped in the past, but I'm still going to do it. It wasn't an accident that Elton John's manager asked me to take care of their entourage. I knew who the A-team was. We know who the A-team are. I told you that story, but it's a good story. I'll tell it again sometime. But uh, we, Ben Gazzara is the story I'm going to tell you right now. What's going to happen in primary care in the next three to five years? Please, God, it extends out longer than that, but, you know, I have my doubts. And I've been fighting this battle for a long, long time, and that is the encroachment of the third parties, the fourth parties, the fifth parties, the insurance companies, the government, the hospitals, everybody who, none of whom actually take care of patients, but every one of whom are sure that they know how patients should be taken care of and who are weighing in on the decisions and, and who should get which for what. And there was a program in the 60s. It only ran for about three years, I think, 62 to 65, in that range, 63 to 66, whatever. Ben Gazzara starred in it. It was called Run for Your Life. Some, around the same time, David Hansen did The Fugitive, and that was about a guy that was wrongfully accused, and Harrison Ford later did a movie version of it. But I'm talking about Run for Your Life, and Ben Gazzara played a man that had been given a terminal uh, a diagnosis for a terminal illness. He was supposed to die in three years. Well, you know, conveniently, he had no symptoms while he was in the process of dying. He never had to go to the doctor's office. Uh, really, you know, and so he had the, uh, he knew that he was going to die in three years, or was pretty sure, oh, sorry, two years. And so he would spend his, uh, the rest of his life doing good things for people, you know, and that's what the script were based on. And Ben Gazzara was a, a pretty good actor and some decent scripts. 
Now, Johnny Carson had a lot of fun with this program when it when it ran for three years, and you know, obviously, he, he outlived his prognosis of two years, and Johnny had fun with that. Well, that's where I feel I am in medicine, and instead of you know just you know tooth and nail fighting off the Providence hospitals, the insurance companies that are all uh, taking and trying to take over uh, primary care in one form or another. And it's not just Providence. It's not just uh, the insurance companies. Uh, the, the, the government's coming at us from all sides. And so when you get, when I go in an exam room, it takes a, a real effort to make sure that I stay on task, and I do. Um, I, I should say it takes a lot of effort. No, it really doesn't because I'm just committed to it. It's the patient, and I'm going to do what's right for them. Number one, advocate. I'm going to advocate for that patient. And then I'm, I'm going to be available for what needs to be done. I'll make sure that they have access to the right person on the A-team if I can't take care of their particular problem. I'm going to follow through to that. And that type of primary care medicine is not going to be around, except in concierge practice. I've told you that I was approached over and over again by the CEO of MDVIP because he said, Doc, you've got a great practice and you could just set up this cone shares practice. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to say I can't see this whole population of patients or can't come to primary care because we're going concierge. Well, folks, that's the way it's going to be. If you want to have that advocacy, access, and availability because all these other people intruding in this in this process – so Ben Gazzara, I'm going to take a Ben Gazzara approach, and that's how I can maintain my equanimity and equipoise in the face of this chaos and all this intrusion. I'm just going to do the very best I can for as long as I can, and I'm just not going to eat my stomach out, stomach acid, uh, with this battle. Whether I'm able to do it for two years, three years, five years, however long I'm going to be able, able to do it, we're going to do it as long as we can. And in fact, we have some outstanding physicians who have joined us who feel the same way. These are folks my age. We're going to start calling it Jurassic in primary care for us, for we dinosaurs uh, that still going to practice medicine the old-fashioned way in the four A's, advocacy, patient advocacy, access, availability, and referral only to the A team. I'll be back. I will be back, assuming I didn't perish uh, over in the Tordellos. Next week, here in the studios of News Radio 650 KENI, just a GP. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.